This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. This is episode 213 of the podcast, our annual Best in Beer edition. And co-hosting it, as always, with me today is Joe Stang. Welcome back to the podcast, Joe. Thank you. It's nice to be back here in front of the microphone. We are international today for the podcast. Joe is uh, joining in remotely from Bangkok, Thailand. Joe, fill everybody in on uh, why you are currently habitating in Bangkok, Thailand. I'm what you call a trailing spouse. Uh, we're here. I, I follow my wife around the world, and it's a really good gig if you can get it. Young man, I recommend you find yourself an ambitious woman and you hold on tight. Your wife is a powerful diplomat working for the U.S. government and uh, representing U.S. trade and agricultural exports in the uh, country of Thailand. And that has been the thing that has taken you all across Europe and Central America and other places. And have certainly uh, you have capitalized on that to explore the world of beer in, in all of those places and build an international approach. So anyway, yeah, we are uh, recording this remotely across the Pacific Ocean, thanks to the beauty of technology. As always, uh, this annual Best in Beer edition of the podcast is based on our print and digital editions of the magazine. Every year we try to pull together our ideas and your ideas as readers and survey uh, completers for the magazine of what is great about beer this year. And, uh, you know, and so what this podcast and the issue focuses on is two sides, actually three sides of things, both what our readers vote for as their favorites every year, what we as the editors of the magazine deem to be noteworthy um, you know, special or uh, uh, important enough, you know, to raise up in this past year. And then also the important and individual contributions of our critics. Those include folks like Stan Hieronymus, Kate Bernat, Samer Kadari, uh, Don't Drink Beers, Alex Kidd, and of course, Joe and me. We all offer our personal uh, opinions about these things through this issue. This episode is going to focus on the readers' opinions and our editorial opinions. And the next episode of the podcast that'll air next Friday will uh, focus on each of the critics' individual approaches to these things because any idea of what is best must take a multifaceted approach. We don't believe in one idea of best. We believe in lots and lots of concurrent ideas of best and just through this kind of consensus and broader approach that we build some kind of communal idea of what really matters in beer. It's not one thing, it's many things. And so we try to take this multifaceted approach to it. We are going to dive into everything from our your favorite breweries who you think brews each style best to our editor picks for the top 20 beers of 2021. But before we do that, for nearly 30 years, G&D Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. G&D stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. G&D stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in-house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real-world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System Design Experts today at gdchillers.com. 
Also, this episode is sponsored by BSG Craft Brewing. Explore a whole universe of hop sensory with unique varieties like Cashmere, Comet, Triumph, El Dorado, and many more. Sourced directly from growers and processed at BSG's FSSC certified facility in Yakima to bring you only the very best hops from farmer to fermenter. For contracting, spot sales, and more info, reach out to BSG at Let's Talk Hops at bsgcraft.com. So before we get started, let's talk about this methodology a little bit, Joe. Um, from the start, you know, every year we run a reader survey where we ask uh, all of our readers through email, through a, a web survey to fill out and share with us what they think is the best. In each of these categories, whether it's your favorite breweries by size, whether it's your favorite brewery by style, we specifically do not auto-populate or complete, auto-complete any of their um, uh, you know, any of the typing. We, you know, there's not a multiple choice test. There are other folks that do these kinds of surveys. And in order to make it easier on the folks filling out those surveys, they offer choices for people to choose from. We have found that it is much more painful and difficult for us to not, you know, to to let people type whatever they want. Uh, and for us to go and make sense of that data, but that is the best way that we can find to get an accurate and honest kind of appraisal of these things. What that means is that we spend on average every every time we do this issue, four or five days just individually pouring through the data because it's not something you can do as a machine. You know, somebody has to understand that Alpha King means, you know, a three Floyds uh, IPA or that uh, zombie dust, you know, is also connected to three Floyds. They have to understand that Russian River and Pliny the Elder, uh, you know, people might list Pliny the Elder as their favorite brewery. You know, folks don't know Fat Tire, the same kind of thing. Um, you know, di different beer consumers approach brands in a different way than those of us in the industry may understand them. And the only way to properly parse that data out is to go through it and, uh, you know, uncontextually understand what people were trying to intend and mean when they vote for these things. We put a lot of time and effort into this, but we do that because we want the most fair, equitable, and accurate kind of appraisal of what our readers have voted for in this process. We also go through and clean it up. There's certainly some uh, attempts <laughs> through this to, to manipulate some results and to, uh, you know, to uh, achieve certain outcomes. Um, but we make sure that uh, we, you know, test, you know, we check everything, we track IP addresses, et cetera, et cetera, to see when, uh, um, you know, votes have, have been and pushed or somehow stuffed in the ballot. And we, uh, you know, we take a fair approach to those two. So it's a lot of work that goes into this. The, it's a, a difficult process to kind of parse all that data out from the reader survey, but we do it because it matters to do it the right way. On top of that, when we go through this and create our editorial approach to what's best, um, you know, we pull from a lot of different sources. Joe, let's talk about some of the, that kind of, um, you know, the sources that we pull from when deciding our editor's picks for the top uh, best 20 beers in 2021? Well, the most important, obviously, is our, our blind panel reviews. Um, when we have top scoring beers from our blind panel, this is those, those are immediately the strongest candidates to make this list at the end of the year. So that's the first thing we consider. I think then there's also, I mean, we probably get to travel on more than most people just tasting beers in different parts of the country. So we, and I, I take notes. I know you do too studiously. We keep track. Uh, and so, and then it's always interesting at the end of the year to look back and see what were, you know, what were my winners and do any of these 
merit this conversation that you that you know that we have with each other and and with our, with our colleagues. And then, of course, then there's the the best in beer tasting, uh, which is sort of the last phase of this. Uh, and it's when we get together. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it there this year, but it's great this year that Stan and Kate, Stan Hieronymus and Kate Burnett could be there with you in Fort Collins and taste through some of these beers blindly, I should add. I think that's important because sometimes it may be that I, there was a beer that I absolutely loved and I would approach the brewery and say, hey, can you send this to them? Because I think they're going to love it. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But the point is like that there is a really uh, everything is considered blindly in that process so that we really uh, we when it comes out, it's not we're trying to eliminate as much bias as possible. For sure. For sure. And I will tell you, if you haven't sat in a room and uh, tasted beers with Stan and Kate for a few days straight and do nothing but taste and talk about beer, um, it's a, a an experience that I highly recommend to everyone. I learned so much sitting in that room talking with the two of them. And, uh, you know, so anyway, through that process, we have come up with all these things. We're going to kick into this and go through some of the highlights from this best in beer issue through this episode so that you can uh, uh, kind of get a taste for it. We're not going to give it all to you. There's still plenty more in this issue, and there are plenty of reasons to go through. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to the issue so that you can see it right now and get it via a digital copy. Um, this issue, if you are a current subscriber, will be out to you through the mail within probably the next week, week and a half or so. So it's coming quickly, but everyone should have gotten it on a link to the PDF of the digital issue on their email right at nine o'clock when we made this podcast episode live, because we are just that dramatic about all of this, dropping it all, dropping it all at one time. Anyway, let's get started. Joe, what are our reader's choice for favorite breweries by size? Well, let's start with the large ones. Uh, so we're talking more than 100,000 barrels a year. We'll start at the – so this is top 20. We're going to start at number 20. That's Anchor in San Francisco. We've got Victory in Pennsylvania. Yangling, also in Pennsylvania. we got Southern Tier out of the state of New York. Cigar City out of Tampa, Florida at number 16. Number 15, Boulevard in Kansas City. Number 14, we got Lagunitas out of Petaluma, California. Number 13, Odell out of Fort Collins. Number 12, Great Lakes Brewing out of Cleveland. Trogues out of Hershey at number 11. And then kicking off the, the top 10, we've got Deschutes out of Bend, Oregon. Number 9, Samuel Adams, a.k.a. Boston Beer Company. Number 8, only in Wisconsin, New Glarus Brewing. Number 7, Dogfish Head in Delaware. And number six, out of Escondido, California, Stone Brewing. Number five, Firestone Walker, Paso Robles, California. Number four, New Belgium, out of Fort Collins. Number three, Founders, out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Also out of Michigan, we got Bell's Brewing at number two. And your number one large brewery is Sierra Nevada, out of Chico, California. In mid-size regional breweries, that's 35,000 to 100,000 barrels a year. The number 20 spot, Pizza Port out of Carlsbad, California. Flying Dog out of Maryland. Brew Dog out of Columbus, Ohio. Jack's Abbey out of Framingham, Massachusetts. Fatheads out of Ohio. St. Arnold from Houston. 
Left hand out of Colorado, Highland out of Asheville. The number 12 spot, Rogue from Newport, Oregon. And the number 11 spot, Revolution Brewing out of Chicago. Number 10, Creature Comforts from Athens, Georgia. Number 9, Modern Times from San Diego. Number 8, New Holland out of Michigan with their famed Dragon's Milk. Number 7, Surly from Minnesota. Number 6, Fremont in Seattle. Quite the Pacific Northwest powerhouse. Number five, Toppling Goliath from Decorah, Iowa, who's made a huge push uh, to build a national footprint or semi-national lately. Number four, Three Floyds out of Munster, Indiana. Number three, Allagash from Portland, Maine. Number two, Treehouse from Charlton, Massachusetts, a brewery that sells all of its production out of its own brewery. I shouldn't say that. I guess they do sell some out of the sports stadiums now in uh you know in uh massachusetts because i've seen that you can get julius at patriots games now absolutely insane but it's still an amazing feat to uh you know to control all of that distribution themselves in the number one spot for mid-sized regional breweries a brewery that has stuck there and consistently been in this position since we started tracking these things russian river from uh, santa rosa and windsor california All right, we're getting increasingly local now. We're going to small regional breweries. These are uh, 15,000, 35,000 barrels per year as as, as far as we know. Uh, And starting at number 20, maybe not a brewery. It's more of a brand, but you voted. We're going to count it. That's Untitled Art out of Wisconsin. Number 19, Great Divide out of Denver. 18, Bale Breaker out of Yakima, Washington. Number 17, KC Beer out of Kansas City in my home state of Missouri. Number 16, Parrish out of Louisiana. 15, The Brewery in California. Number 14, Urban Chestnut out of St. Louis, Missouri. Number 13, Distill in Illinois. Number 12, Prairie Artisan Ales out of Oklahoma. Omagong out of Cooperstown. Number 10, we got Maine Beer out of Maine. Fort George out of Astoria, Oregon at number 9. We got Lawson's Finest out of Vermont at number eight. Breakside out of Portland, Oregon at number seven. Number six, we got Rubens Brews out of Seattle. Number five, Half Acre in Chicago. And number four, Freem out of Hood River, Oregon. Number three, the other half out of Brooklyn. At number two, The Alchemist out of Stowe, Vermont. And finally, at the top spot, Small Regional Breweries, we got Trillium out of Canton, Massachusetts. Congratulations to Trillium for topping that list. And now we move into small breweries. These are breweries under 15,000 barrels a year. You might wonder why we don't break it down below that. And that is because as you start getting really you know, small, when you get 5,000 and below, the number of votes that we get in a national, an international survey like this just get really, really small. And so it becomes harder to to really parse data out and find something that's statistically relevant below that. Having said that, number 20 on the small breweries list, Schilling, the lager brewer out of New Hampshire. Number 19, Great Notion out of Portland, Oregon. Number 18, Wolves and People out of Newburgh, Oregon. Number 17, Fair Isle from Seattle. Number 16, Monkish from Torrance, California. Number 15, Cantillon out of Brussels. Number 14, Hop 
Butcher for the World from Chicago. Number 13, Notch from Salem, Massachusetts. And I guess there may also have a second location now. And number 12, another lager brewery, Dovetail, out of Chicago. Number 11, Central Waters from Wisconsin. Number 10, Side Project out of Maplewood, Missouri. Number 9, Jester King from Austin, Texas. Number 8, Cloudburst out of Seattle. Number 7, Wayfinder from Portland, Oregon. Number 6, Holy Mountain out of Seattle. Number five, Bierstadt Locker House out of Denver, Colorado. Number four, Highland Park Brewery out of Los Angeles. A strong L.A. contingent voting in the survey this year. Number three, Weldworks from Greeley, Colorado. And there is no number two because the number one spot was a tie. A tie. And the brewery that has dominated this category since we started uh, surveying for this kind of thing. Hill Farmstead has tied this year with a brewery out of Asheville, North Carolina, Burial Brewing. And so there are two trophies for the number one spot in small brewery this year. Congratulations to both Hill Farmstead and to Burial. Let's swing into who brews it best. But before we do that, the world of craft beer is a different place now. Margins are more important than ever. So why not lower your ingredient cost? Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard are a cost-effective solution for your fruit-forward needs. Old Orchard produces high volumes of their retail juice brand, so economies of scale keep prices low for their bulk supply program. A little concentrate goes a long way, and you won't lose some of it through filtering like you would with purees. To start increasing your margins now, head on over to www.oldorchard.com brewer. Also, what if you could take your favorite recipe and make a non-alcoholic version without sacrificing the flavor, color, beer quality? And a no problem, the Alchemator from ProBrew uses proprietary membrane technology to strip the alcohol from the beer without sacrificing all the elements like flavor and color that make the beer great. Are you ready to brew like a pro? The Alchemator from ProBrew, N-A, no problem. Email contact at probrew.com for more info. So let's talk about who brews it best. This is our survey by style of which brewery makes each style in the best possible way. Each of our lists in the reader survey go to 20. We're only going to share the top 10 from each of these because, hey, we are craven capitalists and uh, have to give you a reason to go actually buy the, uh, the magazine itself to see the full list. So if you find that your brewery is not mentioned here, Clearly, you must go subscribe to the magazine just to find out. Joe, start us off with favorite American IPA brewer, 10 to 1. So at number 10, we've got Firestone Walker. Number 9, we've got Founders. Number 8, Breakside. Number 7, Treehouse. At number 6, we have Dogfish Head. And for the top 5, we've got Lagunitas. Bells at number 4. Stone at number 3. Sierra Nevada at number two. And keeping the top spot this year for your favorite American IPA brewer is Russian River. Excellent, excellent. West Coast IPA is not dead. Um, On favorite hazy IPA brewers, let's start off with number 10, Old Nation out of Michigan. Number nine, Monkish out of California. Number eight, Hop Butcher. Number seven, on the strength of those Voodoo Ranger beers, New Belgium. Number six, Trillium out of Massachusetts. Number five, Other Half out of New York. Number four, Weldworks out of Colorado. The Alchemist is number three on the strength of Hetty Topper. Sierra Nevada's Hazy Little Thing and that whole family has put them in the number two spot. 
And of course, once again in the number one spot is Treehouse out of Massachusetts. So for favorite Saison Brewer, we're going to kick off a a couple of Belgian-ish categories. I find these fascinating, not just as a Belgophile, but we don't really specify in the survey. uh, As a Belgophile, you should say the author of multiple books on Belgian brewing. (laughs) I'm, I'm an enthusiast. Sure. Uh, sure. The, the um, we we don't specify on the survey where what where where your favorite breweries are from. We just say name your favorite breweries. So s- sometimes those international ones pop in there, and sometimes they don't. So, but with the saison breweries, I think that's one of the places where that's interesting to see what happens. So for the top ten of your favorite saison brewers, we've got Side Project out of Maplewood, Missouri, at number ten. Wolves and People out of Oregon at number nine. Funkworks at number eight. Fair Isle out of Seattle at number seven. Austin's Jester Kings at number six. And for the top five to start off, we got Omagong at number five. Allagash out of Maine at number four. Hill Farmstead is at number three, was two last year. Uh, Number three last year was Boulevard. Now it's number two. And your favorite Saison brewer is the Brasserie Dupont out of Torp, Belgium. Let's let's continue on into your favorite Abbey style breweries, starting with number ten, The Lost Abbey out of California, number nine, Duval, number eight, Rochefort, number seven, West Vletrin, number six, San Bernardis, and number five out of Fort Collins, New Belgium Brewing, number four, West Mala, and number three is Allagash. And then your number two favorite Abbey style brewer is Omagong. And then your top favorite Abbey style brewer this year was number four last year. This year it's Shime. Shime with a, a nice surge this year in the uh, in the reader survey to take the number one spot. Congratulations to them. In terms of favorite sour or wild ale brewer, now number ten Urban Artifact at number nine Side Project. Number eight, New Belgium. Number seven, Jolly Pumpkin. Number six, Allagash. Uh, moving up from 16 last year, quite a move. Number five, Crooked Stave. Number four, Cascade out of Portland, Oregon. The number three spot, Russian River. The number two spot, Jester King, just like they were last year. And then the number one spot, also repeating from 2020, Cantillon. For your favorite stout or porter breweries, we've got at number 10, North Coast. New Holland is number nine. Treehouse is number eight. Number seven is Fremont out of Seattle. Number six, Deschutes out of Bend, Oregon. For number five, Bell's Brewery. Number four, Goose Island, up from five last year. And number three, we have Left Hand, which was four last year. And number two, Founders. And then keeping its top spot, your favorite stout brewery is... Guinness. Indeed, they are. Favorite pale ale brewer, number 10, Half Acre out of Chicago. Number nine, Maine Beer Company. Number eight, Firestone Walker. Number seven is Hill Farmstead. Number six is Bells. Number five, Toppling Goliath. Number four, Three Floyds. Number three, Deschutes, making a leap up from the 12 spot last year. Number two, Oscar Blues with the classic Dale's Pale Ale. And number one, because it's not even close, 
I swear they, I think they had four times as many votes as the number two spot, Sierra Nevada. Of course, Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale being a classic in uh, the world of craft beer. Congratulations to them once again. I suspect they will continue to win this award in perpetuity until the end of time. Talk to us about favorite lager brewers, Joe. Your top 10 favorite lager breweries are starting at number 10. We have Ainger out of Bavaria. At number nine, we have Chuck Nut up from the 11 spot last year. Weinstefaner is at number eight. That's up from 13. Wayfinder at number seven. Pilsner Urkel at number six. We got Chicago's Dovetail at number five. Your number four favorite locker brewery is Yangling. Number three at Jack's Abbey, which had the top spot last year. Number two, we have Samuel Adams. And then your favorite lager brewery this year was Bierstadt Lagerhaus out of Denver. Bierstadt Lagerhaus. We have a shakeup in the number one there, too. Congratulations. Let's move into favorite beer cities. And this year, we decided to add an additional uh, angle to the, the reader survey and split this up between U.S. cities and international cities. And first, let's talk about the top 10 for U.S. cities in the number 10 spot. Fort Collins and Greeley, Colorado. Number nine, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Number eight, Grand Rapids slash Kalamazoo, Michigan. Number seven, Seattle. Number six, Chicago, Illinois. Number five, Portland, Maine. Number four, Portland, Oregon. The two Portlands, such a powerhouse year after year. In the number three spot, a former number one, San Diego, California. It's kind of slipping a little. I, I find that interesting. Um, in the number two spot is last year's number one, Denver, Colorado. And in the number one spot for the first time, Asheville, North Carolina. Congratulations, Asheville, for uh, peaking this year in our reader survey for best U.S. beer cities. For your favorite international beer cities, and I find this list fascinating because – you just don't know where people want to go or where they've been, but this gives us some kind of an indication. Your top 10 for international cities. At number 10, Berlin, Germany. At number 9, Copenhagen, Denmark. 8, Bruges, Belgium. At number 7, Bamberg, Germany. Mm. Mm-hmm. Number mm. 6, yeah, Köln, Germany at number 6. Uh, number 5, we have Prague and the Czech Republic. Number four, Dublin, Ireland. At three, we have London, England. At number two, Brussels, Belgium, my personal favorite. And then this was this is fascinating to me. I don't know if it's the lure of Hellas or the lure of Oktoberfest or whatever, but it is a great city to visit. Number one favorite international city is Munich, Germany. Congratulations, Munich, Germany, on taking our very first reader survey trophy for best international beer city. Let's talk about best beer bars around the world. This was a really difficult year for this category. Um, a sad one because we saw the, you know, we experienced the loss of the previous winner who had held this title for multiple years running and has had those trophies up on their mantle above the tap list. Falling Rock Tap House is no more. Uh, rest in peace. Their departure from the world of the publican world has left an opening that is difficult for others to fill. But we can talk about the top 10 there. A number 10 spot tap and handle from Fort Collins, Colorado. A bar that we 
craft beer and brewing once owned, do not own, haven't owned for the last five years, but uh, we did at one point own that, and we're very excited and congratulate them. Uh, number nine, World of Beer, various locations. Number eight, Yard House, various locations. Um, those chains, they did all right. They did all right. Uh, number seven, Novari Reds out of Portland, Maine, a beautiful, fantastic beer bar. Number six, Toronado out of California, a couple of locations for Toronado there. Number five, uh, the various locations of Flying Saucer. Still impressive that some of the smaller and indie uh, beer bars can hold their own against some of these bigger chains. Number four, Armsby Abbey out of Worcester, Massachusetts. Number three, Hopcat in various locations. In the number two spot out of Washington, D.C., Church Key, obviously. And in the number one spot, a timeless classic beer bar, Philadelphia's own Monk's Cafe. We're going to pop into Reader's Choice for Top 50 next. But first, this episode is brought to you by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of the highest quality organic herbs, spices, and teas, whether you want to add depth to your next golden triple with classic notes of cinnamon, pepper, and clover, artfully layer exotic zesty grains of paradise into a perfect dale. Adding botanicals to your brewing is an easy way to customize a delicious flavor profile. Mountain Rose Herbs has been providing organic herbs and spices to chefs, herbalists, and dedicated brewers for more than three decades. Learn more at mountainroseherbs.com and get 10% off any and all orders with the code CRAFTBEER10. You know, my first uh, uh, experience with Mountain Rose Herbs was my wife. She actually ordered from them. Uh, she had an idea that she was going to make organic root beer, and she ordered the spice kit from them, and the quality of the, the materials was great. Uh, I wouldn't say that the root beer was a great, it was, was a particular success, but uh, it's exciting to see Mountain Rose Herbs joining our list of sponsors. As a brewery owner, you know how important it is to keep your machines running so you don't have to deal with the hassle caused by contamination, recalls, and downtime. Clarion makes food-grade lubricants to protect your equipment from the wear and tear that results in breakdowns that cut into your bottom line. Clarion gives you peace of mind so you can focus on what you do best, pouring out great-tasting beverages. Learn more at clarionlubricants.com. All right, let's talk about Reader's Choice for Top 50 Beers of 2021. You know, this is a long list. I don't think we need to do all 50. What if we kick in at number 25 and then count up from that and then make everybody else just read the magazine to get, uh, you know, from there? Joe, kick us off with number 25 and we'll take them by fives. Sounds good. All right, so at number 25, we've got Zombie Dust Pale Ale from Three Floyds. At 24, we have Lawson's Finest Sip of Sunshine IPA. At 23, we have Boulevard Tank 7 Farmhouse Ale. At number 22, we have Samuel Adams Oktoberfest. And your number 21 favorite beer is Lagunitas IPA, jumping into the list from nowhere this year. That's surprising that they came out of nowhere on that. And number 20, Goose Island's Bourbon County Brand Stout. Number 19, Treehouse Julius IPA. Number 18, New Holland Dragon's Milk. Number 17, The Alchemist's Heady Topper. Number 16 is Sierra Nevada Torpedo. So we heard y'all like Sierra Nevada. At number 15, we got... <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> we, number 15, we got Sierra Nevada Celebration. At 14, we have Saison Dupont. At 13, we have Pilsner Urquell. At number 12, we have Allagash White. And at number 11, we have Founders Kentucky Breakfast Stout. 
the number 10 spot, Stone IPA, and the number 9 spot, Founders All Day IPA, and the number 8 spot, Yungling, or Yingling, Traditional Lager, number 7, Voodoo Ranger from New Belgium, number 6, Hazy Little Thing from Sierra Nevada. I'm not sure how you end up at number 6 on a top 50 list that doesn't change that much with a beer that's, what, 3 years old now. But kudos to Sierra Nevada for pulling that off. At number five, Samuel Adams Boston Lager. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of cool to see that one enduring, you know. Uh, it's the airport beer par excellence, isn't it? Number four, sure. Guinness Extra Stout. At number four, at number three, we have Russian River Pliny the Elder Imperial IPA. At number two, Bell's Brewery Two-Hearted IPA. And still in the top spot with you this year, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. It's interesting as that top four has not changed since last year, that uh, as much as the world changes, some things stay the same. Now let's shift gears. That has been our reader's survey portion of the best in beer. Let's flip over and talk about our editor's picks for the top 20 beers of the year. Now, as Joe said, when we were talking at the top of the, the podcast, there's a multiple methods for us to determine this. Primarily, it's determined by scores from our blind panel. If you are a brewery out there and you are making beer and you want to be considered for this, please check out our help center of, of beerandbrewing.com on how to get your beer reviewed in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. The editorial calendar is there of what beers we're reviewing, when we're reviewing them, what those deadlines are, et cetera, et cetera. Send us beer for those. Follow the directions. They're all right there on the website. And we would love to consider that we do not gatekeep our list. We allow everyone, every brewery that is a commercially operating brewery out there to submit beer for us to review. Discovering new standouts is a big part of what we do, and we love to explore and celebrate those folks that come out and surprise us with high-quality beer. There are a number of those breweries that are on our top 20 beers this year, breweries that um, may have not may not be big names, but they have impressed us and they've done it consistently through high scoring beers. Um, that's one, that's the biggest way. Then there's this other means, which is uh, submitting beers specifically for the best in beer issue. As Joe also mentioned, we got together and judged between Kate Bernat, uh, Stan Hieronymus and me. Then as we wrapped up, we looped in Joe via, you know, remotely after a few days of tasting all kind of, um, you know, spent some time discussing the, the merits, pros and cons of each of these beers to kind of determine this list. Um, and, you know, at times we nominated some beers straight in and tasted them collectively to kind of determine whether these were going to be on the list. And so that's how it happens. Uh, most of this list, again, has been scored blindly. All of their tasting with Kate and with Stan for our best in beer issue is done blindly because that's the only fair way to kind of approach this thing. We focus on style diversity. We focus on some geographical diversity. We focus on beers that captured a zeitgeist in some reason or some way or another. And that becomes the thing that determines this list. The first beer that we're going to talk about, Joe, it's a cold IPA. It is a cold IPA. This is the second year in a row we've got a, a cold IPA in our, on our top 20 list. And uh, I, 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 I love the – are you opening a cold IPA right now? <laughs> I might be drinking one of these right now. Oh, I love it. Uh, I love it. All right. So cold IPA, why does it work? Why is it everywhere now? It's, it seemed like last year there was only one. Uh, 
that was Wayfinders, and and now they're everywhere. Which Kevin, was a beer of the year for craft beer and brewing before it became a thing on the internet, people. Okay, I'm not saying that we're on top of this. Well, I am saying that, but yeah, yeah we're on top of this. <laughs> the, you heard it. For, you heard it from us first. Yeah. Well, Kevin Davy, the brewmaster at Wayfinder, who gets to define it. By the way, he. The, the the way the way that the explanation I like best is western than west coast, and I think that appeals to people right now for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, one is that craft brewers and drinkers are increasingly embracing lager, which is cool. Uh, IPA is enduringly popular, obviously, uh, and then what what has happened to IPA in recent years is it's moved toward you know the sort of the hazy, softer sweeter, juicier iterations, which are lots of fun, but we're leaving something behind there. And there's a lot of room in that flavor territory, that crisp, bitter territory to sort of go back and do things. And I think that's what cold, part of what cold IPA is doing is going back there. So take that brilliant idea. And I think Kevin Davey, by the way, a Wayfinder would have been excellent at marketing if he hadn't been an excellent brewer, but Let's move on. Green cheek, another. <laughs> He's right. Yeah. Cold IPA is a way better term than IPL. So let's just put IPL to bed, please. Cold IPA is will sell more beer. It is way better for everybody. Are cold IPAs and IPLs the same thing, though? Now there's a discussion that we can't have right now. Uh, in the capable hands of Green Cheek out of Orange, California, take this brilliant idea and give it to some of the most accomplished, award-winning IPA brewers in the country. And what you have, what you end up with is a beer that scores 100 points with our blind review panel. Um, it is a physically attractive beer. It's beautiful, golden, great foam on there. The nose hits you in all the ways that IPAs used to hit you, but maybe cranked up a couple of notches with the pine and the grapefruit. The body is light. It, it is, and I don't, you know, I don't like this word. I don't like to throw it around, but this is a crisp beer. Uh, it drinks easily. It is integrated beautifully and it just hits everything just right. And that's why it's here in our list of top 20 beers of 2021. That's green cheek. It just works. And it does. And, and it does. It does indeed. The second beer on our editor's picks the best beer in 2020. This one was an outlier. This one, uh, you know, normally when we pick beers for our editor's picks, we choose from styles that we don't focus issues on. You know, now it's in this kind of case, if we have a something like a barrel aged imperial stout, we do an entire issue on stouts. We judge stouts, you know, for a beer to get onto this list that did not get rated in that stout issue, it's almost impossible. It's very, very, very difficult. And in fact, this beer would not have been on our editor's picks for the top 20 beers of 2020 had after tasting it, Stan Hieronymus not stood up in the room with Kate and me and threatened to never write for the magazine again if we did not put this beer <laughs> on as the as an editor's pick for 2020, um, which is super weird because this is a very sweet dessert stout. It is Weldworks Starry Noche. Um, it is unabashedly sweet. It is, but that it is sweet in a beautifully balanced kind of way. Nuance, layered, caramel layers, nut layers, a bit of roast layer. There's a decent amount of bitterness there. And yes, it is very, very sweet, but there is 
there are flavor strata there that support this kind of intense sweetness and it feels real. You know, it doesn't have that kind of saccharine sweetness that can kind of define this style. Um, you know, and it has an earthiness and a kind of toothy element to it. And so, yeah, well, I mean, this was not on any of our radars for, for a beer, best beer of 2021. And yet it was Stan, the guy who wrote the book on hops, who absolutely insisted that this beer had to be on our list, that it was so impactful and so interesting and compelling for him that he was going to demand that this be in there. And so there it is, Weldworks Starry Noche, uh, as determined by Stan Hieronymus. <laughs> I, I, I think his words when he uh, was threatening to die on this hill were, uh, I don't know myself anymore. <laughs> What it goes to show is that all of us are much more complex beer drinkers than any of us would like to admit. The next beer that we're going to talk about is Triple Crossing One and the Same. This was another one that came from our best in beer tasting that was one of those that was determined as Kate and Stan and I were tasting through these. It was a beer that uh, hopefully has been released by the time that this podcast airs. I know it is on the schedule for a 2021 release, and so we've kept it on this list, but it was not publicly available when we started tasting it. Um, but it, beautiful, beautiful mixed culture saison. I, you know, watching the development of mixed culture farmhouse beers and saison has been absolutely fascinating over the last seven or eight years. You know, we've moved from heavily breaded, heavily bready to very overtly acidic, um, maybe too intensely acidic. And now we're watching this pullback in the farmhouse and mixed culture realm as brewers dial that back in. They rediscover hops. They under, they start thinking about or, or building this broader concept of nuance that balances everything from wood tannin or barrel influence from wine barrel aging along with that kind of hop influence and this kind of mixed culture you know, impact with just a light touch of acidity to build this kind of a compelling thing. And from what we tasted Triple Crossing is one of the same, really captured that excitement, that energy. Uh, it had that vibrance, and yet it also had a certain sophistication. You know, it was exciting, and yet it wasn't, it never pushed too far. It pushed right up to that level of, um, you know, that that edge of flavor while still, you know, pulling back right when, uh, you know, there was any chance of it flying over an edge. There was not a tannin that was out of place. The wine character was in beautiful, the wine uh, barrel character was in beautiful balance with, you know, the kind of subtle cultural uh, culture impact and elements from the fermentation and watching all of that kind of play in concert was a, uh, was a beautiful experience. I have another bottle of this and I can't wait to dive into it and I'm not going to share it with anybody because it was just that good. What's up next on our list, Joe? So up next, we have a beer from Breakside out of Portland, Oregon. And um, I think we have to come out and say at the outset here that there was actually a higher scoring Breakside beer with our panel this year. And that was the Wanderlust IPA, fantastic uh, West Coast IPA. Um, and in the end, we still get to choose, hang on, we like this other thing just a bit better. This beer still also scored very well. It scored a 96 with the panel. But this is just a 
a really interesting beer for us. Wouldn't it be boring if the whole list was all IPAs? I mean, it would be kind of boring there. And not to take a single thing away from Breakside because they are absolute geniuses. Absolute geniuses. And it's it's a fantastic beer. This is a true gold. It is a golden ale. It's a hoppy golden ale, which is probably a place where as brewers, we have a lot more room to play and see what see what we can do and push things. But this this one takes the that modern twist with the mosaic and galaxy. Um, I think the 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 words you use here, Jamie, are IPA light, and I think that's a pretty maybe that's a good way to describe it. A good way to sort of just give drinkers an idea of what they may be getting into. I just love to see something that could be packaged as IPA, packaged as golden ale uh it's packaged in this classic way it's sold as in this classic way as a classic style and this was a beer that that was reviewed for our craft classics issue this year um i don't know if that's a just a power of nostalgia thing or wanting to see some of these more underappreciated styles get the love they deserve um but this was a beer that that earned it with with its flavor with its character with its with its appearance with everything it's just a beautiful beer love to see more of this kind of thing happen in the in the beer world for sure for sure no and i think you're right we do want to see more of these underappreciated or so-called forgotten styles i shouldn't say they're they're not forgotten there's still plenty of drinkers for these beers but to build construct a mosaic galaxy beer that is so subtle and constrained and simple but also direct and it's hopping i mean it's just just beautiful the fact that this beer rates a 3.63 on untapped also makes it feel all the better to to name it a beer of the year for craft beer and brewing next up on our list is a very hoppy lager joe yeah it's so i mean you were dissing ipl earlier but this is an india pale lager i love india pale lager when i see one there's no such I, thing as india pale lager i don't it's I, I, the I, name is a construction again, i mean it's all all it's the style is just marketing i don't care what you call it that's the thing like I, we don't care what you call it ipa you call it cold ipa call it hoppy <laughs> lager we don't care but this is a place where hoppy we, lager yeah yeah we, we, i love it when brewers are playing in this zone and i love to drink beers that come out of this zone of Lager influence plus lots of hops, and then let's see where you take it. I think we're well past the days when we had these, you know, sort of thick, kind of resinous IPAs that just happened to be fermented with lager yeast and kept cold for a few days longer. We're in this uh, zone now where maybe it's—I don't know if it's brewers who have been appreciating lager more and how to how to brew them, but we're getting these lighter, more delicate creations uh, and more drinkable too. And in some cases, like with this one, I. Th- we're talking seven-ish percent ABV with Static God, so this is going to sneak up on you. The character is got a lot of the things that we love about modern IPAs. It's got that tropical guava, pomelo, pineapple stuff going on, but it's not a tiki drink. You get those whiffs of diesel and and pine there too that kind of grounds it. It's it's, uh, but it's if it were an IPA, it would still be on the list because it's that good. It's easy to drink. This interesting pillowy mouthfeel to it. It's full of character. It's easy to drink. It's dangerous. It got there by a different road than some other beers get there, but it got to a place that that we're happy it arrived to and happy to drink more of it. Absolutely beautiful. On the next beer on our list is Wild Provisions out of uh, Boulder, Colorado. Meets and Bounds Red Globe Peach. Now, Wild Provisions is a second brand from the folks of Four Noses. 
And uh, this beer project was brought into play by uh, their then head brewer, who's actually still head brewer right now and has, is just transitioning, going to transition out of that, uh, Brandon Bolt, who's also involved with Primitive Brewing. This beer was one that he designed, and, uh, um, you know, it's Wild Provisions, Meats and Bounds, Red Globe Peach. This one spawned an interesting philosophical discussion amongst Kate and Stan and me, and, you know, and this is where our conversations would devolve into as we were discussing some of these things. But Stan brought up an interesting point. You know, what we there are other languages other than English and other cultures that have terms uh, you know, words that describe flavors that might be in common between things. English does not have that. Like, what does a peach taste like? It tastes like a peach. You know, we associate color and the thing with the things. You know, an orange is a color orange, and it tastes like an orange. You can't say that it tastes like another thing. We don't have a language for that. And so in in terms of using English to describe these things, we are we have there's a particular constriction, uh, you know, and a, a particular kind of economy that we have to employ as we are writing and, and talking about these kinds of things. It does make it challenging because all of our knowledge, you know, and, and the way that we create ideas of what these things are related to other things. And so, you know, we, in describing this, you might be able to describe it as peach pit and funk as Stan did. You might be able to describe it as a mix of dandelion, honey, and green grape as Kate did. Um, but most of it, we just come across as peach. Um, finding the character that takes a peach acidic forward kind of sour wild beer and makes it something special it, you know that's the interesting piece here what elevates this beer to it and some of that is the kind of softness to it some of it was this kind of pillowy character some of it was this just soft peach juice and and low but also present acidity um, that felt controlled and that felt like it accentuated the the fruit character without dominating the experience of the beer. Um, a light little mineral minerality, you know, and a bit of baked bread, you know, coming out of that fermentation character gave it some interesting character that was really, really compelling for us. And so, you know, Wild Provisions Meats and Bounds Red Globe Peach is one of our favorite wild ales in our best in 2021. Next up on the list is Oxbow Crossfade. This was a Brett focused beer, a farmhouse or Saison uh, ale that is not necessarily a mixed culture beer and that it is really, I guess it's a, a sack and Brett beer first and foremost, which technically I guess makes it a mixed culture beer, but there is not a lacto you know, component to it. There's not a PDO component. It is not a long-term uh, quote unquote uh, sour Saison or farmhouse ale. But what it did for us was remind us of this era of Brett beer brewing that we seem to have moved past because for whatever reason, the market seems to embrace uh, longer aged, wood aged, wine barrel aged, mixed culture, sour or mixed sour acidic saisons and farmhouse ales over this kind of generation of Brett Brooks forward kind of punchy 
white linen, you know, peppery, uh, you know, Saison. And this beer is one that Oxbow has made for a long time. They continue to make it. It is, it continues to be a compelling beer. And what we found is that this type of beer is something that more and more people should consider in that same kind of canon of beer to consume with food, that it is clean, it is, you know, dare I say it, crisp. Um, it holds its own with a character without overshadowing the things that are around it. It instead kind of adds up a, a punchy accentuation to those things. And I think that there's a space for more of these beers and uh, we would love to see more of them in the world of beer if they can be made as well as Oxbow makes crossfade. Next up on our list, Joe, postcard pills from Green Bench. Yeah, this is a fun beer. So I as a as a beer consumer, and I love to buy beer, no matter how much people send to the magazine or anywhere, uh, when I see American style Pilsner, I have almost no idea what to think. So it, it, maybe it's going to be a, a kind of prohibition-ish, Budweiser-ish thing. Maybe it's going to be a Pilsner body with lots of American hops in it. I'm, I'm never quite sure what to expect. Um, I think from now on, we should just agree postcard pills is the prototype for American style Pilsner. And this just then we can all we'll be on the same page. Um, this is a unique beer, um, although it takes some uh, some things from the sort of um, pre prohibition type uh, book as far as it's got uh, corn in the mash. They do a cereal mash. Um, the hops are old school American hops. They're using Mount Hood hops. It's also cranked up to 35 IBUs. So this is not a, you know, the bitterness here is an important piece of it. It's got other important pieces that are interesting. They they ferment it just a bit warmer than usual. So you get this sort of these very subtle tropical esters there that, that uh, Chris Johnson, the head brewer, in his mind, they allude to the tropical environment down there in Florida. And uh, make it make it a beer for its place, um, and we have more on the brewing of this beer uh, in the in this issue of the magazine. But um, I love the story about how they came around to embracing decoction. As you know, Jamie, I am a decoction enthusiast. Uh, I, I tell people this all the time. <laughs> every every guest who comes onto the Craft Beer and Brewing podcast who decides to talk about decoction, they are your new best friend. Yeah. Well, so they had this beer. They had postcard pills completely dialed in. Like it was already great. And then Chris decided, hey, let's try it with decoction, which is slightly crazy um, to to change it up after they had already, you know, had already had a successful beer with it. Um, and at first it wasn't as good, which is interesting in itself. But they stuck with it for weeks and months. And eventually it got better than the original in their minds. So... We now we have a decocted American style Pilsner postcard pills, beautiful balance to it. Uh, I love that bitter bite uh, in a beer like this. I want bitterness. I love bitterness in a Pilsner. I think it needs to be there. Uh, and this is sort of uniquely American as well. So although it's got plenty of German influence and some German ingredients in there too, it's it's it, this is uh, an American beer postcard pills. Check it out. One of our top twenty beers of the year. An extensive brewer's perspective from Chris Johnson, 
Yeah, the brewer of for Green Branch, and uh, also a homebrew recipe for those of you who want to try your hand at brewing it at home only in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Next up on our list, Vitamin C's Tropical Envy, a collaboration with Civil Society Brewing. This one is a triple IPA, and you know, I, I keep saying it enough times that you'd think that I would revisit this, but I always say, oh, no, I don't, I don't love, I don't like triple IPAs. There's too much alcohol in them. And then I seem to drink a lot of them, seem to really enjoy drinking a lot of them um, because I think there is something about this kind of nexus. I mean, for one, if you give me a hoppy or give me a hazy IPA and I would rather drink a hazy double IPA than a hazy single IPA or a hazy pale ale, you know, there is just something about that hop expression that starts happening at that, you know, heftier level and with that kind of, uh, you know, alcohol helping it along, you know, that is just, um, you know, more interesting to me. And so uh, that alcohol, that kind of hop intensity, that kind of saturation, that kind of extraction and what all of those pieces, what the additional uh, residual sweetness that can be supported by the additional bitterness and all of that additional heightened flavor at that kind of ABV level, somehow I feel works to support this kind of beer. And so as much as I might say, well, I don't like those high ABV beers, I mean, I will drink some other half, all green, everything, and some, you know, monkish triple IPAs and you name it. I just, I, I somehow I find myself going back to those, even though I might for my brewer cred want to say, Oh, I just, I just really like Pilsners. You know, um, these are my, this is my dirty little secret. I'm just bearing my soul for everybody. Now the triple IPAs and those bigger double IPAs, totally, totally my jam. Um, vitamin C's tropical envy hits all of those notes. This one rated a 97 by our blind panel this year was the top rated triple IPA vitamin see a great crew of folks out there on uh you know from weymouth massachusetts kind of coming up from the roots such a cool story you know they started as home brewers they would brew and they would package and they'd put their beer out in a cooler in the front yard and their friends would come by and they would take some of the home brew and they'd leave some beer for them and that's how the brewery got started just such a beautiful grassroots piece about that. They haven't lost sight of where they've come from. They've stayed community focused, but they've also stayed really focused on this kind of intensity and this interest. And this Tropical Envy Beer collaboration with uh, Jupiter, Florida's Civil Societies, another great crew. You can read about them in Craft Beer and Bring Magazine. I know we've got a, re- a recipe for a fresh IPA from them, as well as a breakout brewer story. Really great folks. This is kind of the, you know, this fun big nexus of crazy intense contemporary hop flavor citra galaxy mosaic brew one just just big 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 unabashed unapologetic flavor intensity um you know and i i love these kinds of beers that just capture all that's good and all that's possible with hops themselves a fantastic beer and more than deserving to be a beer of the year for us. Next up on the list, Maplewood barrel aged cup of vanilla rye moving back into the barrel aged territory. This one rated 100 by the blind judging panel for craft beer and brewing, you know, and it's an interesting thing. It's not the thickest of the beers out there. It's not the, um, 
you know, the most syrupy or the most intense in terms of, of any of the individual flavors. But one of the things I absolutely love about our, our blind tasting panel, and these are all BJCP judges and, uh, you know, experienced judges that kind of cross the spectrum of age and, uh, you know, homebrewing experience and interest. But what we find is that things like sophistication and quality rise through it. The hype does not figure into this. What matters to our judges, honestly, is this intangible idea of quality. And in a beer like this with maybe, you know, barrel-aged cup of vanilla rye, there is this, this je ne sais quoi, this piece of integration that feels so seamless, that feels so pulled together, that feels so tightly integrated where all of those flavors and all of those pieces work so well to, you know, kind of express this flavor that the the beer earned its way into that 100 rating. It is a tough thing for a brewery in Chicago to come out and make a vanilla rye beer because Goose Island, it is arguable that Goose Island has done it the best, that it is like, if you're going to go do this, if you're going to come at it, they've made two iconic beers in this kind of realm, in the vanilla rye realm. And so if you're going to do it, it's got to be really good. Otherwise, why even try? And Maplewood did exactly that. They are not the most hyped of barrel-aged brewers in the Chicagoland area, but they are among the best. Well, let's stay in Illinois, Jamie. Let's go to Lake Zurich. Let's let's stay there. Let's go to suburban Chicago for uh, Lake Zurich, Illinois. And uh, one of our favorite beers of the year, and our, our panel loved it too, that's tuba solo from roaring table this is a hazy ipa and it's from a brewery that i think we're all going to be hearing more from in the years to come um i mean you you will hear more from them if you read this best in beer issue of craft beer and brewing which includes a breakout brewer story on roaring table as well as a recipe to make your own homebrew version of the same beer there you go it's an instantly self-fulfilling prophecy we're going to hear more from roaring table like today so <laughs> tuba solo is uh it's a it's a hazy IPA and as you may be aware because you're interested in beer there are a lot of hazy IPAs out there these days. It doesn't matter how What? No. Yeah, there are. There really are. And it it doesn't matter how many there are. It remains a difficult style to brew well. There's different parts to it with the ingredients, the supremacy of the freshness of hops to really make a great one the water profile is so important this is it's simply there's just a lot of moving parts to a great hazy ipa and this is just one that we loved it just hit all the numbers you're getting uh this big beachy tiki cocktail mix of pineapple orange mango guava with the floral lay there getting laid on your neck as you arrive on the island um, it's, it's bursting, it's juicy. Um, and this is something that I look for in a great one. It doesn't cloy. Yeah. It's sweet cause it's a hazy IPA, but it doesn't, it, it is just restrained enough that you want to keep drinking it. Very smooth, fluffy, soft, very enjoyable. The kind where you, it arrives in your table and you think I'm only going to want one of those and you finish it and you are like, I'm going to need another one of those. That's Roaring Table 2, a solo. Beautiful Hazy IPA, one of our favorite 20 beers of 2021. They just sent me a four-pack. I'm drinking one of them right now. And yes, I could very easily 
drink the entire four pack in one sitting. I'm not going to do that because I need to be coherent as we continue to talk through the rest of this episode. But the next beer, well, can I even, I, I can't even really call it a beer, Joe. It's not a beer. Next, it's not a beer. The next, and yet here it the is. Next, the next fermented beverage on our list, because yes, we are going to trigger you hardcore brewers just like that. The next one on our list is Smooge Strawberry Banana. It is a fruited hard seltzer. Why? Why is Smooge on our list? It's pretty simple. You know, as we were reviewing Kettle Sours earlier this year, just for fun, just for fun, because I love to fuck with our uh, our blind panel like this, but just for fun, I, I threw in some Smooge on a couple of different panels, some, some pineapple uh, uh, Smooge and then um, some strawberry banana smooch and didn't tell him what it was, but we had already had some other hard, uh, you know, other uh, similar beverages. And so it didn't feel, you know, in the realm of smoothie sours, they didn't feel that much different than those, those beers. And when, even when blind reviewing, and these are reviews that we've never published in the magazine, but I just kind of held them in our back pocket. Cause I was curious to see how these things would score the, uh, the, Smooges scored 96s and 97s in with our blind panel out of nowhere. And why is that? Because they are delicious. They are just undeniably delicious. And having said that, we have tasted lots and lots and lots and lots, like more smoothie and fruited seltzers than I care to admit, just because, you know, this is what we do for science. Like we approach these things thinking about them as beverages. We think about them as flavor. We approach them blindly. We taste and review these things. Um, these are the best of the best. Smooge is a category defining product. It is better and more compelling than everything out, else out there that we have tasted in a similar category. And, you know, hands down when, when these, when a box from Smooge arrives in our office, like, like, you know, we're, we're all jaded on beer. You know, we, we, we get a lot of beer. We taste a lot of beer. You know, even our customer service team, like, you know, yeah, I have to convince them to take more beer home and I just put it on their desks. We have extra beer. Just take this home and try this because people don't opt into a lot of beer anymore. We, we just, everyone's fridges are full, but when smooge arrives in the office, there's like a certain energy that just happens where, Oh, smooge is here. Hey, are you going to open that smooge? Hey, we should try some of the smooge. Like it is, it is so interesting and so funny to see it happen where, uh, it just, it smooge itself creates a separate energy even here and an excitement and looking at it from that sense. I mean, I, we just can't deny it. It's a beer. It's it's one of our beers of the year. It's one of my, I really enjoy drinking this again, going to lose all credibility by saying this, but that, that fruited smoothie hard seltzer is a fantastic thing to drink. And in this entire category of beverage is one that craft brewers should embrace. Craft brewers should not run from. We shouldn't be embarrassed about it. We should celebrate the fact that it is craft brewer. And in this case, it's the brewers from Holmes brewery in Michigan that developed Smooge, it is craft brewers that have delivered on this kind of innovation and let it, let's keep this category of beverage in the world of craft beer so that people that cannot consume gluten, 
people that may not find themselves a home with beer itself have a craft beverage and a place to connect with the world of craft beer through beverages like these. I love Smooge. That is one of our best in 2021. What's next, Joe? Well, let's let's go completely the other direction here. Um, we're going to go with a Pilsner. Yeah, the industry Pilsner from the Austin Beer Garden Brewery. Um, this is a cool one for us because we had a we had an experience with this beer uh, some weeks before it went in front of our blind panel and scored uh, a one hundred, um, which is you know not a huge surprise for a sort of a well established beer like this. This is a beer that did win a gold medal at the Great American Beer Festival five years ago. Um, it is a known great, the industry pilsner, and we were there at the Austin Beer Garden Brewery in the beer garden, enjoying this beer and a couple of other others. But this was the one I got stuck into. Thought we weren't going to stay long because it was cold outside. This was right before uh, the the ice storm where I got stuck in Austin for <laughs> five five days longer than I intended. Um, That's a whole other story. Yeah. And it's a beautiful yeah. story. We were in Austin to film classes for our all-access uh, program, video classes on brewing. Those of you who are subscribers may have seen some of those classes. There are a few more in the tank that you will continue to see. Um, but yeah, yeah, Joe, you ended up staying, hanging around Austin for an extra five days in the middle of uh, an epic ice and snowstorm that shut the entire state down. Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to tell a bit more of that story next week in our critics picks. Okay, uh, fair thing. enough. But but um, but for now, this it's enough to know that it was cold out. And we weren't going to stay long. But it was, no, it was yeah. nice enough for it us was, to sit it, outside. Like it, it was COVID well, time. Was, so we wanted we to were, be outside. Right? We were happy to be outside because it was COVID times. Yeah. And, and, uh, but it was a little chilly to just kind of sit out and drink the beer, but we got stuck into an industry Pilsner anyway. And it was, it was fantastic. We ate some pizza. We had some leftover Franklin's barbecue. Oof, uh, we were, I so mean, it good. was, it, it was one of those, yeah, it was one of those moments. And then, and then it goes in front of the, uh, the blind panel and they take this beer and give it a hundred. We're like, yeah. We know, we know, we already knew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, what I, um, I like many of you, I have a thing for Pilsner. I love Pilsner and I like it when a Pilsner is hoppy and bitter. Uh, I don't, I also appreciate your delicate constructions also, but I like it when you kick it up there. Uh, this is 40 IBUs, the industry Pilsner. It's bitter and you can taste it. And and at the same time, it doesn't really hold back on the hop flavor either. It, it embraces that leafy holler tower. You get this beautiful herbal uh, and it, to me, a little bit of almost a lemoniness that can come out when that when that hop isn't really singing. Um, and so it's it's you can sit there and you can pick it apart uh, and appreciate this ample character or you can just sit there and drink it and uh enjoy it and have great conversation and this is you know one of those beers that can do that that uh stand up to scrutiny or just there to be enjoyed um and um yeah we love it and here it is in our best 20 of 2021 and beautiful proof that technique at the hands of talented brewers is more important than dogma they violate dogma left and right, you know, compared to what some people say they must do. And yet they consistently make compelling beers. It is less about dogma and more about 
building an approach to brewing that works with your brew house and your yeast and your fermentation cellar and all of those pieces. And in the hands of a talented brewer, understanding how all of those things work together to create the beer is what ultimately results in something so compelling. And so, you know, but I just love that idea that you can make beautiful beers in a lot of different ways if you understand all of the pieces that are going into how they're being made and what those things do to impact those beers. Yeah, um, well said. I, it's can, not Decocta, Joe. Yeah. No, it's not Decocta. There's there's plenty of uh, breweries that will get there the Reverend Czech way or the Reverend Bavarian way, and, and this beer gets there the Austin Beer Garden way, and you got to respect that. We talk a lot about how different beers can be uh, evocative. Um, and I think particularly these days with uh, dessert stouts and uh, and these dessert-like fruit beers, they are quite literally evocative of particular treats and things that we enjoy. But beers can – other kinds of beers can do this too. Classic beers can do this. And so for the next beer, uh, this is from Cross Strain out of La Vista, Nebraska. The beer is Batch 625 and it is a – Beautiful saison, and for me, it evokes things. It, it brings me back to Wallonia. I'm sitting in a cafe, and I'm, maybe I'm about to tuck into some some pate or a, or a pork knuckle with mustard sauce all over, something like that. Um, the construction is sort of classically Dupont-ish. Um, it's delicate. It's very well attenuated. The bitterness is just right. Um, I don't know what they are. Oh. I guess I do know what they are because we have a recipe in this issue. Uh, <laughs> Indeed, we do. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Bobby Cross from Crossing worked with us on a, a homebrew scale recipe, and it's uh, it's a lovely one for all you uh, my my fellow saison homebrewers out there. Um, it's it's a it's a really cool recipe. Um, this one does have Britannomyces. Um, the first time I drank this beer, I wasn't fully aware of that, and it didn't matter. Uh, it's it was subtle. I suspect I suspect with uh, with age that was going to come out more. But the point is, it just it all comes together beautifully. The Brett brings this um, brighter lemony notes along with that sort of cellar floor earthiness. Um, there is uh, it's, it hits all of these sort of uh, classic notes that are herbal and spicy and fun to pick apart. You got the pepper, uh, chamomile. Um, lemongrass could be there. It's a little bit crackery, a little bit of stone fruit notes. And there's just, you, you, you could taste it yourself and come up with 10 of your own descriptors and, and be no less, uh, no less, no less right or wrong. It's, it's all in the eye of the, of the beholder. And, and so I love these kind of beers. And this is a common thread through some of the ones that we've got in our list. Uh, we've mentioned a couple of them already. These mixed fermentation, farmhouse, saison type beers that are, seem to be getting, at least the ones that we love, are getting lighter in character, more balanced, more restrained and delicate. And um, when you can combine that incredible complexity with that great drinkability, um, I just I have to hope then maybe they'll start selling more. Like, please make more of these beers because we love to drink them. And I, we just hope you can have success with them as brewers. We will keep seeing their praises in hopes that you as brewers continue to have more success with them. 
and then more people start to see the the beauty and the wisdom in this approach. Next on our list is a beer from Cloudburst Brewing in Seattle, Washington. It's Aqua Seafoam Shame. This is a fresh hop beer, interestingly enough. Might be one of the first fresh hop beers that have ever appeared on our list of uh, our, our editor's picks for best beers. Um you know, but Cloudburst appeared on this list in an interesting kind of fashion. It was one of those when, as we were comparing our own individual critic shortlists, Cloudburst was on four different individuals' lists, uh, different beers, all four different beers. Um, and so we started to recognize, like, wait, there must be something here when all of us were finding some of those beers from Cloudburst to be individually compelling. And so we reached out and, and uh, Steve Luke, the you know founder of Cloudburst sent out a bunch of beer to all of our judges. And we, we sat through and tasted a bunch of these beers to see if we might be able to find a, you know, a beer that we all agreed on. And this was the beer that everybody agreed on such a beautiful, weird, odd, quirky beer. You know, we're, we're used to that kind of vegetal green character that comes out of fresh hop beers. We all know that, you know, part of, like, that's one of the pieces that we all celebrate about that. But this one was, like, curiously almost melony. Um, you know, it just had this, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Kate described it as eucalyptus, spruce, mint, green split wood and lemongrass, um, you know, but even when we talk about those kinds of descriptors, that sounds more intense than it tastes. Those are the elements, but it had this kind of soft sheen to it that pulled all of those disparate elements together in this beautiful, you know, kind of cohesive way. And it was such an interesting beer in that regard to kind of experience fresh hop in a way that captured that that beautiful green vegetal character of it, but also with these contemporary hops notes. Uh, it was a beautiful expression. We expected nothing less from Steve Luke and Cloudburst because they're, they're absolute geniuses when it comes to using hops. And so it's exciting to be able to include this one in our uh, best beers in 2021. Next on the list, we go a whole different direction with a barrel-aged blended strong ale, a blend of barley wine and barrel-aged stout. It's Westbound and Downs, five years strong. And this one is an anniversary beer where they blended it from Imperial Stout stock as well as barrel aged barley wine stock. This is a movement in beer that I absolutely love. Our judges love. All of us are fully behind this kind of movement. Um, we both love, we all love barley wines. We all love barrel aged stouts separately. And this idea of building beers that are blended between these two things that confuse those categories but pull on some of the better elements and the more compelling pieces of both to create beers that are neither of those things, but also the sum of both of those parts is uh, absolutely fantastic. Such a beautiful, interesting thing over the last two years to watch this happen. Obviously, breweries like Side Project, Anchorage, and others have been pushing on this realm and building these kinds of beers. 
that that span these categories by blending these varying barrel-aged stocks. But this one, Westbound and Down, their imperial, their bourbon barrel-aged imperial stout was, I think it was in 99, in our uh, barrel-aged stouts in our stout issue. Certainly, individually, some of the components of this beer are some of, some of the most compelling beers that we've tasted this year. And this together, pulling together the kind of Louis barley wine with that barrel-aged stout into one beer, um, it was just inescapable. You know, um, I think that it spoke to a trend, but it also captured the true beauty that's possible. Approaching beer not from a single stream kind of approach, but in this possibility that uh, is created by thinking as a blender, thinking about how to pull together these kinds of components to make something that might be different or greater than the sum of its parts. And yeah, I, uh, you know, the sensory pieces are there, the caramel waves, just these, these elements that, um, you know, build the kind of rich and richness and depth to, you know, the, the sip as you drink it. Uh, all of that is there, um, in the hands of less talented blenders and less talented brewers, it might have felt more clunky in the hands of the team from Westbound and Down. It was an absolute masterwork. So I'm, I'm excited about this next one too, about talking about it. I, the, uh, this is Duval triple hop cashmere. Uh, out of Belgium. And I think probably during the pandemic, our beer experiences probably, I think it's fairly universal, have been more insular than than usual. Um, so to have the, you know, foreign beer crack in here is good, I think. And and But this is a beer I've been lucky enough to find here locally in Bangkok also. Um, and it, it hits different. Um, there's a lot, there's some different layers here. One, to go back a bit to that Cloudburst beer and Kate's description um, of the hops there are just some kind of unique sort of um, traits that, that we don't often get in hops. And I, I get excited by that kind of thing. We So many of the uh, IPAs and hoppy beers that, that we try these days are all kind of going for that same tropical fruit, juicy target. Uh, and so I kind of hanker for something else all the time. And so when you get something that hits differently, uh, I get kind of excited and that's what this one does for me. The cashmere is normally like, it is kind of, it is usually one of those fruity hops. You got the, the lemon, lime, melon, it can do different things. Um, this one hits me as, as minty lemongrass. It's noble ish the way it works with the yeast in this beer. Um, and you're putting that on top of the sort of the classic, highly accomplished, delicate duval construction where you have this bruiser of a of a of an ale, and this is nine and a half percent alcohol, uh, and the alcohol is a piece of it. There's a piece of that flavor too. You can you know you can taste it. It's there, uh, and that little bit of sweetness. And then on the top, you have this uh, sharpness from the hops. This, this bitterness. It's more bitter than the classic duval. And so a lot of the people who remember Duval back in the old days will say, oh, Duval's not as bitter as it used to be. It's sweeter and softer now. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And so they embrace the they embrace the triple hop as how Duval used to be. Okay, I don't know. I can't say, but I can say that I do like what that 
bitterness and what that extra hop character does for Duval. And and they don't mess with the Duval underneath. You know, they're really just layering on a bit of of interesting hops with this triple hop series. The Citra being the one that's most commonly available, also delicious. But I just love the way this this cashmere one hits and does differently. And it's, and it's very different from the Citra version for me. And it's something I've been enjoying a lot of. Uh, and it is a, I mean, we could, we could put Duval on this list probably in a year. Uh, it is, you know, that great and recognized and highly accomplished. But the Triple Hop is such a fascinating beer and uh, one that's fun to pick apart and get into. And, and it's a different experience every time. And so it's, it is one of our top 20 beers of 2021. Pretty excited about our next issue too, Jamie. We've got some some stuff on brewing Duval and Duval type beers. And we're going to get into the details of that. It's going to be pretty, pretty cool. Joe, are you saying that people should subscribe to Craft Beer and Brewing to make sure that they stay on top of the beautiful content that we're pulling together for them on how to brew Belgian beers in compelling ways? People should do what they want, but I just don't want them to miss out. You know, we're, we're digging deep on the technical details. We are, we are, uh, we are going deeper than people have gone before on Duval next issue. And uh, I think people might want to be there for it. I mean, they, you know, if you subscribe now, then you can get the uh, best in beer issue right now delivered to your inbox. And you'll also get the next issue, which is our deep dive into Belgian style beers. You're right. You're right. Um, what's next on our list of best beers in 2021? It's Another Pilsner. I'm we shocked. Have, it, it, well, you know, the, the beers speak for themselves. Um, we just have to add some words. Well, in uh, this one, like our judges rated it so. And so, I mean, who are we to tell them that they're wrong? Absolutely. And this is a this is a brewery that uh, I'm surprised hasn't actually made it onto uh, the best in beer list before. This is Chuck Nut. Uh, now out of Burlington, Washington, until recently out of Bellingham, they have moved, left their uh, original space in Bellingham to go down to their uh, bigger plant in uh, in the Skagit Valley. Um, but they're still there, still going strong. And we were there uh, back in May visiting for podcasts and, and um, we uh, got to visit with Will and Mary Kemper and got to taste through some of their sort of, you know, classic beers and and it's really hard when you're tasting perfect beers and taking notes and you don't really want to write the word perfect down because deep down you're like, no beers, no beers, perfect, right? No beers, perfect. can't be perfect, but it's seemed pretty perfect. Uh, this one is one of those. It's just sort of like just nails it. And our, we, our judges gave it a 99 out of 100. So oh, just, just a hair off of perfect. And there, I mean, there's a whole wall of metals, GABF and World Beer Cup medals hanging on the wall there that testify to to sure, uh, sure. to what they're doing, you know. So it's not just, um, but but it, it's such a it's the I'm jealous of people who live up there and can get this beer all the time whenever they want to. This could be your fill up the fridge in the garage beer, and you could have it just drink it whenever you want to. That's amazing to me. It's one of those beers where it, it looks as good as it tastes. You're getting that beautiful foam on top. You're going to get those, assume your glass is properly clean. You're going to get those beautiful stripes of lace that tell the story, you know, as you go down. Um, that herbal nose, you're getting the mint, the lemongrass, floral, woodruff, that just uh, singing the best of, of noble hops. And then that just right bitterness 
all the flavors are crystal clear in there. There's just there's nothing to get in the way of it. And and again, it is one of those that you can just stop thinking about it and drink it, and you're going to want another one anyways. Next up on our list is a brewery out of Denver. Our mutual friend, the beer is called Times Arrow. This is their classic 7.7%, just barely double IPA. And our mutual friend, you know, if you've followed Craft and Brewing, there's a, or you are a subscriber to our Brewing Industry Guide, Industry Focus Beer uh, Magazine, we have done a, a case study on our mutual friend. They are a wonderful, small, local, taproom-focused brewery in the River North neighborhood of Denver. And Time Zero is the West Coast-style or American-style IPA that they've been brewing since they started. Like, this is their classic approach. Talking to Jan Chudkowski, their uh, head brewer and, and one of the founders, um, he was excited about how this beer rated, but with our blind panel, because, of course, it rated a 99 out of 100. Um, an absolutely fantastic beer. He was excited because it both felt modern, but this was the same recipe that they've been brewing for years and years and years. Why did it now find itself elevated to this kind of level? I am not sure. Maybe that's, uh, you know, a development of the ingredients. You could say that it's other kinds of decisions that the brewer makes, but I would love to believe that it is simply the result of honing and honing and honing iteration, 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 and this very, very small, minute changes that happen through to any kind of beer as it's brewed continuously by brewers that care about the result and are continuously focused on small improvements to the quality of that beer. I think that's it. The recipe hasn't changed. You know, the, the, the hops are the hops and the recipe is the recipe. And yet having said that, as we know, beers do improve the more you brew them. Um, you know, it's a clever challenge that we find ourselves in in this world of new, new, new all the time, and everything is a new beer, and brewer, and you know, consumers want new things all the time. Brewers get better at brewing beers the more times that they brew them, and I think this beer is an absolute example of that. That through honing. And through continual improvement and through continued iteration, they've built a West Coast IPA that both feels thoroughly modern and also classic at the same time. It's a beautiful beer. Highly recommend it. One of our best 20 in 2021. And that brings us to our last, our 20th beer of our best 20 and 21, Spindletap Aceite Crudo. This one is an imperial stout. I am drinking some right now. It is not barrel aged, and oh my god, how can we not have a barrel? Can we have a non-barrel aged Russian imperial stout on this list? You know, the world doesn't end with barrel aged beers. I believe, and I think you and I both agree on this, Joe, that there's a beautiful space for beer outside of some of the more consumer focused ways of you know pushing buttons to drive sales this beer you know that that kind of style of russian imperial stout is something that i drank a lot of when i was getting into beer you know 20 years ago 25 years ago and i think for a lot of us in a certain 
you know, of a certain generation in craft beer, you know, the idea of Russian imperial stout influenced by beers like North Coast, Old Rasputin and others, you know, it feels so familiar that we might take it for granted. And I felt that way about this beer until the moment that I opened it and poured it for our blind panel as they were tasting through stouts. And even in the midst of beers that were barrel-aged, that had much more intense flavors in varying ways, when we tasted this beer, there was just this palpable buzz amongst the judges. Like we, you, it's, it's fascinating to see it because you can tell you're onto something special. You, can, you, you know that everyone's on this wavelength. Like the judges are just trying to hide the smile, right? Like you just can't help that physical reaction of, oh man, I'm really excited to be drinking this right now but I don't want to play all my cards because we're supposed to be stoic and judging. And, you know, and that was this beer for all of us where as we got into it, you could just watch that like little corner of everyone's mouth, just like trying to curl up into that little smile. And they knew that we were onto something. The, the things that make it beautiful, these incredible layers of caramel flavor throughout it. Yes. Stout should be roasty, it should be bitter, it should be big, it should be bold. But the thing that makes a great one is understanding how to build those kinds of layers, how to build that support through the middle of the beer so that it's not just bitter and roasty and then a giant gap down to those kinds or, or up to those kinds of, you know, top notes. This beer is thoroughly supported through that spectrum. There are these beautiful caramel layers throughout it little hints of sweetness but not enough to to set you off from the kind of beautiful bitterness that kind of defines it and so you know pulling that together in a non-barrel aged beer to drive the kind of excitement with our judges that would deliver a score of 99 it's truly exceptional and it's even more interesting that this brewery spindle tap is really known as a haze factory. They're a Houston haze. They make hazy sweet beers for people. And yet this beer is, I think one of the most compelling examples of Russian Imperial stout non barrel aged that I've, I've tasted in years. And so there it is that wraps up our best 20 beers in 20 21. And so congratulations to all of those brewers. We have trophies that are in the mail to all of those breweries. Tap handle trophies courtesy of our friends at Bolter and Crislin who have made these gorgeous uh, ceramic tap handle slash trophies that uh, are suitable for either putting on a mantle or screwing onto your tap handle at your brewery. Congratulations to all of them. Thank you to all of our readers who have voted in our reader survey and helped us create this data that we've been able to present to you. Thank you to Kate Bernat and Stan Hieronymus who helped us judge for editor's picks the best in 2021. Obviously, Joe, thank you for joining me here on this special episode of the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jamie. And thank you all for reading. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. Uh, look for more fun stuff with Joe and me. We're gonna we're gonna hit the road in 2022. We've got some grand plans ahead of us. I think uh, I think Europe is in the cards. We're gonna put some cool stuff together for everybody as this podcast continues to grow and develop and become 
even more of what you expect and love from us. The Total Glycol System Design Specialists GD Chillers offer the most experience in the industry. BSG's FSSC certified facility in Yakima brings you only the very best hops from farmer to fermenter. Old Orchard's economies of scale keep prices low and quality high. NA is no problem with the Alchemator from ProBrew. Get 10% off your next order from Mountain Rose Herbs with code CRAFTBEER10 and make your system 100% food safe with Clarion Lubricants. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button. We bring you great brewing content from some of the world's most inspiring brewers and our all-access subscriptions bundle magazines with exclusive digital content and video classes that you can't find anywhere else. Great classes like the one we have up now with Vinny Chalurzo and Taylor Lane of Russian River Brewing on oxygen and the brewing process. And I'll tell you, if you've never watched Vinny hand bottle a uh, you know on foam and with purging and without, and then test it on an Anton Parr TPC 5000, and you just haven't lived... Go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button, choose all access, and check out how you can access this content. Um, Next week, tune in. You'll hear Joe's personal critics list. You'll hear my critics list. We'll hear critics list from Stan, from Cape Renat, from Summer Kadari, Alex Kid. Check out the new issue as it hits newsstands, as it hits your mailbox as a subscriber, of course. And if you're not a subscriber yet, Go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, and become one to get immediate access. Until next week, cheers. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.com.